Welcome back to Gorilla Connection. It's homecoming week here at Pittsburgh State University, and there's a definite excitement in the air. I'm Andra Stefanoni, now the Director of Media Relations here at Pitt State and a once upon a time homecoming queen candidate. As the campus began gearing up for activities, I got to wondering just when this tradition started. So I headed from Russ Hall across the Oval to a person I knew would have the answer, Steve Cox at Axe Library. Steve's job flies under the radar. He works in a room without windows, away from the public eye. But his job is critically important. He's the keeper of Pitt State history. I'm Stephen Cox, the curator of the Special Collections and University Archives in the Leonard H. Axe Library. That's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> and you have lots of responsibilities, primarily keeping the history of Pittsburgh and Pitt State, right? Well, the history of Southeast Kansas, which includes Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh State. And the, the main responsibility is, is uh, filling the footsteps that were created by Gene Grusin and Randy Roberts, who have had the job before me and um, who were both alumni of the, the university and grew up in Kansas or in the immediate area and just knew all this this history of the, of the region. I so. remember them well as a journalist um, in the 90s and into the 2000s. Mm -hmm. They were my go-to guys. When I had a question or I was researching something, I knew I could pick up the phone and they would have an right. answer. Right, and they so. usually would have the answer right off the tip of their tongue, at the top of their head. Uh -huh. And uh, I do have to uh, do some a little bit of digging into the archives and our, and our resources. And fortunately, they did an excellent job of compiling all the, the local resources and, and history so that if I can't come up with an answer right off the top of my head, I can usually find it within, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Well, I appreciate you sitting down with me today. So my question to you was, what did homecoming look like in years past? And we can go as far back as your records sure. go, or are you, you've picked some things out right. for us. Right. To... I, I, I found some files on, on homecoming. And, of course, the university started up in 1903. And the first thing that really passed as a type of a homecoming started around 1910 with these alumni banquets. And because we were a, a teacher's college, a normal school, as they, as they called it back then, these alumni banquets were held in conjunction with the Kansas State Teachers Association meetings. And they weren't necessarily in Pittsburgh. If they had the meeting that year in Topeka or Emporia or Wichita, then alumni who were all teachers, former, uh, former uh, students who are now teachers, would meet and have a banquet dinner. That's well, we're so fortunate that you have kept some of these records because it really will paint a picture for us of what right. homecoming is like. And I see some papers peeking right. out of your folder there that say Collegio. Collegio, the student newspaper That's right. Here. I right. used to be the editor of the Collegio right. back in the day. So I'm kind of interested in what those say. Well, the variety of dates. This is... Um, 1920, October 27th, and just a little article here says, Manual alumni will eat. <laughs> <laughs> Banquet tables will be spread at each of the four meetings. And um, it's, it's very brief. I'll just read it. And they give the name of our school, which is the State Manual Training Normal, SMTN. It says, SMTN alumni will banquet at each of the four meetings of the Kansas Teachers Association. This has become a custom, and this year's feasts are expected to equal and surpass former affairs. But um, 
I guess it wasn't until about 1922 that you see homecoming kind of um, start to resemble what we do today. Uh, 1922 is when they did it in in conjunction with a football game here on campus. And that's about when we became known as the gorillas. The gorillas. Is that right? um, between 1920 and 1925, we are informally referred to as the gorillas, based on um, the student body, um, a group of really rowdy students. Um, Nicknamed themselves the gorillas, not necessarily meaning the animal, but more of a, of a rowdy person, a roughneck um, that would just, I guess, just really harass the opposing team. <laughs> yeah, I think in 1925 that we, the school officially adopted the, um, the the mascot of the gorillas. And before that, you look in the paper, and we're referred to as the the normalites, the manualites, wow, that's or uh... the teachers. Yeah. <laughs> And so do you have any headlines or little tidbits from back in the day? Um, I, I don't think we even got around to having a homecoming queen until early 1920s, although you see some lists that say we didn't have one until 1937, and then you find some lists that show that, no, we actually had some from 1924 um, but whoever compiled the list, there are a lot of years that are blank that they couldn't determine oh. who the homecoming queen was or they didn't do it um, that year. Now, I know in the, the World War II years, especially uh, 43 and 44, we did not do a traditional homecoming, but we did with a, a Navy ball. And that was probably due to the fact that we had a, na a naval training program during the war here on campus. So do you have a name of who the first homecoming queen would have been? Well, it depends on who you, who you believe. <laughs> 1924 <laughs> was a woman named LaVon Cranston. Okay, LaVon Cranston. Um, she was a, ma a math major and graduated in 1928, so she probably was a freshman uh -huh. that year. And I know that what I think also around 1930s when you start seeing more of the traditional homecoming activities like decorated houses and parades and floats. I was going to ask you about that. What what uh, when did the homecoming parade start? Nineteen thirty three. Thirty three. And do you have any sense from any of these headlines what the parade would have looked like? Did it go down Broadway? I, I'm sure it did. Uh, that was that was the main street even then, and I can't imagine where else it would have gone. Would it have included? I assume a marching band of oh, some sure, sort, yeah. some floats. The marching band was already in existence by then, and and we we've had this university's had musical music ensembles from the very beginning, but you really start seeing a, a traditional marching band about that time, where the, where they come to the football game, play the fight song, and other songs. I remember, let's move forward a few decades. Um, my parents were here in the late 50s, early 60s, mm -hmm. and I remember them talking about the effort that students went to to decorate floats. Sure. And back then, they were decorating with them with the little tissue paper, right. much like we might see in the Rose Parade right, or something right. now. Um, so do you have any sense for what that era looked like? It was, I think, traditional and typical. We see the pictures in the yearbooks, and it's funny because the yearbooks often were, most of the pictures were black and white, but it seems like a lot of the homecoming pictures were in color because I think they wanted to capture the color of the, the floats. It was an important event. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, very, very important. 
So, yeah, they the university, interesting thing, used to bring in um, pretty well-known performers as part of the homecoming festivities. Uh, for instance, in 1960, Duke Ellington and his orchestra came and played here for homecoming. Um in 1965, part of the event was a very young Glenn Campbell and Roy Clark came to perform. And they went on to become country music legends, right? right? Country music legends. Um, Broadway show composer Meredith Wilson, who composed The Music the Man music. and The Unsinkable Molly Brown, was here in 1967. And I, I believe it was also the Grand Marshal in the Homecoming Parade. Wow. And then we yeah. had our own music man, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> and then you know, even uh, continues through the through the seventies. I think they're bringing in performers that the students would be more um, likely to relate to because the um, the musical group Bread came in as part of Homecoming in nineteen seventy one. From what I see today at Homecomings, you know, look very similar to what they. So what we have today has been more or less what the university has been doing for... Probably about 50 years now. Very traditional. Uh And traditions are hard to break. (laughs) (laughs) Are you still keeping... It's hard to get across, I suppose, in our mind that we're living history today. Mm -hmm. Are you still documenting and still keeping? And so when photographer Sam Clausen goes out and gets digital color photographs, right. those are still being archived. Right. We get them. Um, you know, when Malcolm retired, we got a lot of his photos. Uh-huh. Okay. But yes, we do take a, a very active and proactive um, approach to documenting this university's history with the newspapers, with the yearbooks, photos, all the publications. Can Can I peek inside the sort of the vault sure, area. Sure. Could we go in yeah. there? I would love to see it. You've never seen it? Years ago, <clears throat> but I'd love a, a refresh. Yes, we've, we've enlarged it even, so. That would be yeah, ideal. Thank that. you. Sure. Thanks for getting all these papers out. It's oh, a sure. neat stroll through, through <laughs> right. the history books. All right, this is the, the, the vault. Climate control, secured access. Nobody gets back here. It doesn't belong here. <laughs> I feel kind of like I'm in, I don't know, the Smithsonian or the National Archives or something. Right. Well, it is the archives, uh-huh. not national. But, you know, we got a lot of everything. Art. Um, for some reason, people like to give us art. And, and, of course, the art department has their own collection. But we've got uh, art, and we collect a lot of art by alumni artists like Ted Watts and Joe Beeler. Um, so we've got a pretty good collection of them that they occasionally go on display. Um, most This is the original storage area for the special collections when they renovated the library and moved us down to the basement. And when I came here in 2015, we were pretty much, we've outgrown this. So we, we keep our, our uh, manuscript collections, family papers, professors' papers, uh, records and documents, on one side, and what we call compact shelving, so you can get more shelves in. We we got our own uh, HVAC system, which tr- we try to keep it at about 70 degrees and 50% humidity uh, throughout. And in those conditions, paper documents can last a very long time, centuries rather than, than just decades. And we really focus on collecting you know, items related to Southeast Kansas and um, 
the history of this region uh, is very strong in the mining history and the mining activity that went on in the 20th century. And I guess a, a lot of people don't realize today is the socialist history that was that was in eastern Kansas back in the very late 1800s and probably through the first half of the 20th century. And our little uh, county seat of Girard was a hotbed of socialism back in the 1910s, 1920s, 1930s. And you had major figures, uh, political figures coming in and out of Pittsburgh and Girard back in those days, um, like writer Upton Sinclair, who was a socialist, writer Jack London, who wrote um, Call of the Wild. He was in and out of Girard. Even Helen Keller, the blind um, deaf activist, um, she was a member of the Socialist Party and would come here. And we probably have the most complete collection of Haldeman Julius's little blue books that um, anybody has. So, um, the, I can walk you around. Now, this sure. Is, this is the original storage area. We can just cut through here. A lot of the university archives and material is sort of in this area here. How many items do you, I mean, is it, it's tens of thousands, I guess. Oh, yeah. You know, hundreds of thousands. Hundreds probably, of thousands. Because we've got several pretty large book collections. We have a collection called the Kansas Collection, which is books that are basically focusing on Kansas history. We've got other collections that people have given us. An interesting collection here is um, the Ertman Collection of pulp science fiction paperbacks from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, let me open this up a little bit. Part of a special collection and a research collection, we wouldn't want to circulate or check these paperbacks out because paperback novels were not really designed to last more than three or four readings. And so we've got this large collection of, of science fiction that was published from the, you know, maybe as late as the early as the early four, late the 40s. Best and, science fiction and stories, stories from New Worlds. From New Worlds. <laughs> but, it, you know, one thing I like is just the covers, of the, the artwork on, on these are just really amazing. There's just a lot the of The best it. from Galaxy. Here's the dead astronaut, <laughs> dragons, elves, and heroes. So this, at the time, would have been really forward-thinking science Roll fiction, around. I guess. Yeah, and some of these even predate um, manned space exploration. Um, so they were only guessing what might right. what might become. Isaac Asimov, a major um, science fiction writer, got a large collection of his. But again, the artwork on these covers are really amazing. And in some cases, you don't even know who the artist artists were. A lot of them, Arthur Conan Doyle, the, the Tarzan books, the, um, his, his science fiction that he wrote in the early 1900s and really didn't know what was out there. When you're at work, can you just lose yourself in the stacks in here? <laughs> I wouldn't ever probably come out. Well, you know, when I first started here, I had to just to, to learn what we had. And, and, you know, I'm back here all the time. Our student workers work back here. So, um, yeah, it's important that, that, that the curator knows what, what, what he has. So if a, if a researcher from, I don't know, Denmark wants to explore some of these collections, they don't have to come here, right? They can do it digitally? They can do it digitally. We... Um, have most of our collections, at least what we call the finding aid, sort of the catalog of what the collection is online. So somebody can say, oh, they've got this, and they can look and read a description of, of what's in the collection. And, um, and we've had 
researchers from Europe come here. But if they just want something really brief and they know exactly what they want, you know, we'll digitize and email it to them rather than say, no, you got to spend $1,500 to come here for 30 minutes. Uh, we'll, we'll try to work with them. But if they need to really dig through an entire collection, and like our socialist collections, some will come here and and spend some time here as well but we yeah, we're, we're open to students faculty community users and, and national and international researchers well this has been an, a really neat yeah. tour through history um thanks for taking me sure. behind the scenes and taking the listeners behind the scenes um where can they find you if they hear this and want to learn more are you well we're in the basement of of the axe library at pittsburgh state university our hours are monday through friday eight to five Although we usually close for the noon hour for lunch. But uh, you know, we, we have people walk through our doors, uh, the phone rings, I get emails from people, and occasionally a, a printed or handwritten letter from researchers, and we, we address them all. And we try to work with people. Um, if somebody in town wants something, I, you know, I don't hesitate to tell them, no, just stop by. But again, if we have somebody from the other side of the country or the world, um, we'll try to work with them. Thanks, Steve. You're welcome. Really neat. All right, now we have to wind our way yeah. back out. We forgot to leave breadcrumbs. Well, I've worn my way around. <laughs> and now for a look at this year's homecoming. It kicks off on the Oval today at 6.30 p.m. with activities especially for students. Axe throwing, yard games, make and take activities, and food. The Cutest Pitt State Pet Contest also opened today, along with online voting for royalty. Activities will continue throughout the week with raft races on the University Lake, Yell Like Hell and the Crowning of Royalty at Carney Smith Stadium, an award reception for this year's Outstanding Alumni, and one of my personal favorites and one the entire community can enjoy, the Homecoming Parade on Saturday, followed by tailgating and a football game. For a complete schedule, visit pittstate.edu backslash alumni. And for a diverse collection of stories about Pitt State throughout the year, visit pittstate.edu backslash guerrilla connection. There, you can also sign up to receive a weekly e-newsletter called Guerrilla Connection. Thanks for joining us for another podcast. Go Gorillas and happy homecoming.